Hello, people of the world. Welcome to episode 6 of Thief's Monthly Movie Loot. My name is Carlo, and I'm here to share my thoughts on the films I've seen during the last week or two while trying to meet my monthly movie challenge of March. Now, like I said in the previous episode, things have been getting worse with the coronavirus pandemic. I hope everybody that listens is safe and staying home. And if this podcast can serve as a temporary distraction from all the mess in the world, then that would be great. So everybody stay home, avoid contact, and be safe. So, back to our challenge, let's get on with the last films I've seen during the month of March. A film with a title that starts with the letters E or F. For this category, I saw Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. Now, first of all, this is a rewatch, and to give just a bit of my background with this franchise, one of my older brothers had a thing for horror films, so growing up in the 80s, I ended up seeing all the Fridays, the Halloweens, and the Nightmares when I was still a kid. So, even though a lot of them suck, they have some sort of soft spot in my heart. Now onto this one, part 7. Even though this franchise has rarely cared about continuity, this is a somewhat direct follow-up to part 6, since we find our hero, um, I mean killer, Jason Borges, right where we left him, chained at the bottom of Crystal Lake, when Tina, played by Lar Park Lincoln, a girl with telekinetic powers, accidentally resurrects him. He goes on his typical horny teenage rampage, forcing her to use her powers to stop him. Well, like I said, I know the franchise is mostly crap, but considering there was a Friday the 13th this month, and since I've been trying to revisit all the Friday the 13th films, it was too hard for me to resist the temptation. This one has all the ingredients to be a dud, a stupid premise, dumb dialogue, weak performances, but despite that, the film does embrace the absurdity of its Carrie versus Jason plot with some aplomb and confidence. It really doesn't make the end result much better, but it does bring it up a notch, at least when compared to other more mediocre and lifeless entries of the franchise. In addition, this is probably the film that has the best zombie Jason makeup, and there are a couple of creative kills to spice things up. A film with a prominent deaf character. The second film I saw was in honor of Deaf History Month, and it was Children of a Lesser God. The film follows William Hurt as James Leeds, a new professor at a school for the deaf that falls in love for Sarah, played by Marley Madling, a young but troubled custodian with a hidden past. Several people came up with this recommendation on the internet. I really wasn't sure what to expect and was afraid it would be too sappy, but I'm glad it ended up being more interesting and, to a certain extent, serious than I expected. There are some typical cliches of the era and of the rogue professor subgenre, but they are mostly inoffensive. They didn't bother me that much. The film does touch on some serious subjects, like Sarah's background, as well as her talk-or-not-talk tension with leads, but unfortunately refuses to go deeper into any of them. Also, it's a bit distracting to see people usually hurt using sign language but reciting everything he or she said. I know it's necessary to understand, but I would have preferred if they used subtitles for their signed conversations. But anyway, it's still a solid romantic drama anchored by Madeline's great performance. A film with the number three in its title. For this category, I saw Third Contact. This mega-low-budget indie follows Dr. David Wright, played by Tim Scott Walker, a dissolution psychologist that starts looking behind the apparent suicide of two of his patients, but ends up having his convictions challenged by what he finds out. I found this one while browsing on Amazon Prime and sounded interesting. Like I said, this is mega low budget. The film is written, produced, directed, and edited by Simon Horrocks. It was shot on a camcorder for 4,000 pounds. 
The film does wear its low-budget pedigree on its sleeve. It gave me vibes of Christopher Nolan's following, but especially Darren Aronofsky's Pi, what with its lead being obsessed with something to the point of not being able to function at work and being ultimately consumed by it. There's also a drill involved at some point. Uh, it doesn't get to be as good as those other two, but there's a charm to its somewhat elevated themes and amateurish cover. The performances are decent, all things considered, and the ending might leave you thinking. Overall, it's not a great film, but maybe worth a watch. A film directed by a woman. For this next category, I saw Ida Lupino's The Bigamist. The film follows traveling salesman Harry Graham, played by Edmond O'Brien, who happens to lead a double life, married to Eve, played by John Fontaine, and Phyllis, played by Lupino herself, at the same time. This is revealed early on, and obviously by the title, as we see Harry starting an adoption process with Eve. This sparks an investigation from the adoption agent, played by Edmund Gwen, who uncovers the truth, forcing Harry to share his story in flashbacks. This is only my second Lupino film, and although the film doesn't have the flair of the hitchhiker, she does a great job of handling the tension, the reveals, and the present and past back and forth. Uh, personally, I feel a bit torn about the plot. Part of me appreciates how the film tries to create empathy with the character of Harry without fully exonerating him, while other part of me feels like a more balanced focus between the three characters would have made for a more interesting film. Still, I think everything was handled in a very serious and mature way, while keeping the film entertaining and intriguing. A film based on a Shakespeare play. Now, this category, which comes because of Shakespeare Week, is perhaps the one that gave me the hardest time. First of all, I'm not that much into Shakespeare, more for lack of exposition than anything else. So I was looking for an adaptation that felt compelling to me. I ended up settling for Joss Whedon's Moshe Do About Nothing, which some people recommended to me last year. However, I must have not been up to it because 30 minutes in, I tapped out. I have to admit, I knew I wasn't in the mood for this kind of film, drama, romance, comedy when I chose it, but still went in anyway. But also, the fast dialogue, the amount of characters, the heavy Shakespeare dialogue, all of that had my head spinning. So anyway, I shared that on Twitter, and someone, Headhunter Solly, recommended Macbeth, which definitely seemed more my cup of tea. It is apparently very faithful to its source. The film follows the titular character, played by Michael Fassbender, as he seizes power in Scotland, led by his ambitious wife, played by Marion Cotillard. This ultimately leads him to betrayal and madness. The film is directed by Justin Kurzel, and having not seen or heard anything about him before, I was impressed by his skills. Good use of camera, lights, shadows, the battle scenes are well executed, and there's some good framing on his shots. But the praise here belongs to Fassbender, who managed to portray the mixture of ambition and insecurity in Macbeth, and then his eventual madness. Uh, my main complaints are... Number one, the dialogue, although mostly faithful to the source and well executed by the actors, still makes everything feel too theatrical and distant. And number two, I wish they would have gave more depth to the character of Macduff, played by Sean Harris, which would have amplified the tension of the last act. Still a pretty good film. Finally, with all of the free time as a result of this lockdown, I caught some freebies with the kids, 
First of all, Missing Link, the film follows Lionel Frost, voiced by Hugh Jackman, a struggling explorer that sets out to find the titular creature, a Sasquatch, in order to gain acceptance of an exclusive club of explorers. Upon finding the creature, he finds out he talks with Zach Galifianakis' voice, by the way. The creature convinces Frost to take him to the Himalayas, where he wants to join the Yeti creatures he had heard of and which he considers his family. This one ended up being quite fun and charming. The voice talent is great and the animation is crisp and colorful. As far as the kids were concerned, there was a stretch between the middle and last act where things slowed down a bit and they almost lost interest, but then came back in for the ending. Maybe my kids' tolerance is low or maybe the film might work better for slightly older kids. Mine are 6 and 7. They had fun with it anyway, but I think Dad had more fun. And second, I saw The Road to El Dorado. This one follows Tulio and Miguel, voiced by Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh, two con artists that happen to find the map to the lost city of El Dorado, where they end up being mistaken by gods. As they plan to go along with the ruse to steal the city's gold, their scheme is discovered by the evil high priest of the village, who is voiced by Armand Asante and has a penchant for human sacrifices. This is another one that I also think might work better for slightly older kids, but mostly because it is a bit more rough, uh, violent and scary, at least for kids. I think it is rated PG, but regardless of that, the film ended up being quite fun and thrilling. Kudos to Asante, who voiced the high priest perfectly, a very devilish performance from his part, but also the animation of the character was excellent. On the previous episode, I remarked how most of the films carried a message of gender equality and female empowerment, and I'm surprised to see that unintentionally, it seems I continued with that theme in a lot of the films I saw, from the powerful telekinetic teenager that can be Jason Voorhees, to the powerful performance of Madeline in Children of a Lesser God, or the confidence of both women in The Bigamist. Even the two animated films had strong, confident, independent characters that managed to hold their own with men. So once again, it is great to see great films made by women and great female characters on film. So those were the middle five films of the month. The remaining categories I have are a film from the 1920s, the third part on a film franchise, a film with the word spring in its title, a film where the phone is crucial to the plot, and a film from or with Warren Beatty. As usual, I would love to read anyone's recommendations for those. If anybody has any suggestions or recommendations you'd be willing to share, you can contact me via Twitter at TIFCGT, T-H-I-E-F-C-G-T, or on Letterboxd as TIFF12. So that's all for the sixth episode of TIFF's Monthly Movie Loot. If you like the podcast, spread the word, share the link, and tell others to listen. Hope you all have a wonderful week. You aren't going to say goodbye? It's never goodbye. It's been a long